How's it going? Not bad. Pretty good. What about you? All right. How running you running on uh not a lot of sleep cuz you the euros are on right now and oh, okay. the kickoff times are at like 3 a.m. So you're not getting a lot of sleep for a entertainment reason. Kind of, but it's also hard for me to it's hard for me to disengage because if I'm working anyways and I just like prop up my phone and cuz I I I'm I'm usually working, right? It's okay. You don't have to make excuses as to why you're watching the Euros? No, but it's just like it's ruining my sleep. Like I went okay, to bed. But at you f- clearly don't. Okay, it's hard. But if you're ruining your sleep for the Euros, it already demonstrates that you care more about watching the Euros than it's being like well a, it's like a drug. I can't pull myself away from it. What is so addictive? I, I don't feel like I mean, I'm live sports. Understand. Live sports. Is there something particularly addictive about the Euros? It only happens every two years. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sold, but it's fine. You're not? Okay. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Megan, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really, we are working through things, and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making It Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash for Discord access, exclusive newsletters, and more. Should we just jump into it? Let's do it. Wait, We're running late. Eugene came from a late physio appointment and has places to be. I can go first. Yeah. We both have sports and athletics related topics this week. So I think they'll inform one another. My question to you is, since starting making it up, has your perception of sports changed based off the way that we've Spoken it's hard about it. to remember what my perception of sports was oh, really? prior to four years ago when we started this podcast. Interesting. I don't have like, I take... I don't, if anything, if the change has been is that I have more opinions on sports now than I ever did. Which is say, exactly it. Yeah, but it's not really it a change. It's just so much like I did, had no strong opinions about sports pre I, I guess this my, podcast. I take pretty deliberate mental notes on how I think about things and go back and think about how I thought about them in the, you know, several years later. Well, okay. Well then I would say prior to this podcast, I didn't think about sports. Yeah. And now I do think about sports. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that we definitely thought less about or didn't think about four years ago. Yeah. I think gaming is a big one probably. Yeah, that's true. That's true for me too. Gaming is like probably the biggest it's not like Transition. I had, I guess I was, what I meant is that it's not like I had like strong opinions and then I changed 180 on them. It's yeah. just more nuanced yeah. thoughts. So what have you got this week? My topic this week is the NCAA changes its rules, allowing athletes to now capitalize on their likeness. That's actually a made up title because I'm pulling from a bunch of different sources. So in, in short, it's just something that encapsulates today's topic. Uh, For the non-North American audience, 
what is the NCAA? Yeah, so the NCAA is the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and it's the governing body for college sports. So they basically oversee um, the whole group of sports and they decide a lot of the rules, regulations, et cetera. It doesn't mean that there aren't competitions outside of the NCAA because there's other uh, governing bodies for different types of schools, smaller schools, et cetera. But basically, there's been a longstanding controversy and debate over whether or not student athletes, most importantly, are able to make money while they're attending school and being a student athlete. Um, but most recently, it's, there's been a groundbreaking change where now, if you're an athlete, you can now sign sponsorship deals. So for example, there are some vloggers out there who need to be very careful about how money enters the picture around their content. So they have to be careful about sponsorship, aka you can't really sponsor someone's vlog, and also you cannot monetize it. So you can't put ads on it. Because the context is that student athletes can become quite well known. Yes. Even without money entering the picture, they become well known as athletes because they're good at what they do or they have a local fan base. Or they might also be someone who might amount to a superstar down the line, which is why people are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons why they don't want to pay athletes is because they feel that the fan base, which honestly sounds like bullshit is that they don't they think that it'll ruin the product if you cross that line of amateur athlete sorry the NCAA think that the fan base will be upset yeah like you, is as, what a, they said. you as a fan enjoy watching college sports because you believe that it's pure quotation pure. marks pure yes but okay. in reality it's like the NCAA is a massive business juggernaut so what would you say, because you said that's bullshit, what would you say is the real reason that the NCAA did not historically want student athletes to be making money from sponsorship deals, et cetera? Well, I think one of the big reasons is that they wanted to preserve the lines of division on the money being made. So mm -hmm. for example, in 2019, the NCAA organization brought in $1.1 billion. So this is pre-COVID, right? And in 2020, it shrank to $519 million, obviously because things got canceled, et cetera. One thing that kind of surfaced over the course of the discussion was, and I'm quoting something from the New York Times, this quote from Justice Brett M. Kavanaugh said, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. I'm have to wrap your head around that. Mm. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. And I also read that colleges don't pay student athletes anything to just play the sport either. Beyond potentially a free education. Not every athlete is going to have a scholarship, for example. So colleges aren't paying basketball players, like just say, for example, to just be on the team and playing basketball. But some players might be getting specifically scholarships in relation to playing basketball. Theoretically, the bigger the and better the school, the more likelihood you're on a scholarship. Because in theory, it's like, hey, I've attracted you to come to my school because they are definitely making money off of the talents and likeness sure. of these players, right? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about yeah. that these players are meant to just play for the enjoyment of it or I guess like the potential for their yes. own future. Yeah, yeah. So in, in actuality, my... 
biggest interest around this topic is actually very little to do with the ruling. It's more about what is the changing landscape of sports in light of this very clear and defined monetization opportunity. The way I look at it is that if Sharice is a YouTuber, how does she make money? She makes money by monetizing and creating content around her talent. Her talent could be a lot of things. It's like uh, explainer videos. It could be playing a guitar. This is actually not that different from what an athlete does. Like, in short, you are attracted and following this person because of a talent, Mm. right? And maybe they are not full-on content creators, just like a content creator also needs a talent or a skill to be presented. So what I find really interesting is that this in itself is like opening the floodgates to the creator economy in a way because now you've allowed a certain type of monetization to enter the picture that in the past was not available. Sure. What I also think is really interesting with this is what happens to the quote-unquote purity of the sport and does it even matter? Because what I mean by that is if Sharice, and once again, obviously Sharice is the person beside me, she's uh, a top basketball player, right? You know? Yeah, let's run with that. (laughs) Best basketball player you've ever seen in your life, you know, points the logo at half and just dropping trays. Okay. All right. You know what? All right. Clearly, basketball is not my sport. Get to the key point where I'm making money off of my talent. All right. So now it's like Sharice now has the ability and potential distraction of having money enter the picture. So the reason why I think it's a distraction is because part of the allure of college sports was also, and this this is something I would love to hear your opinion on, is that as a college athlete, they they starved them in a way. It starved them in the sense that starved them financially Mm. because some of them were like, oh man, I got to do this because my next ticket is the big ticket and that's Mm. going to the NBA. What happens if you feed them or allow them to feed themselves? Does that change how they interact with the sport? Does it make them change their career trajectory? There's a lot of things that come into play. And for me, it's like, I find it really fascinating because we, we had a pretty intense conversation about Naomi Osaka, right? Sure, and yeah. how she was sort of put into this structure and she kind of had to play by the rules. Yeah. Now the rules actually haven't changed for these people. And what is the outcome of it going to be? And I, I'm, I'm actually really interested because if you are a mid-tier person, but for whatever reason, you're actually a really strong personality. Speaker, entertainer, exactly. charismatic on camera. What becomes more important? You have 24 hours in a day. Like, do I create content and monetize it? And I spend the bare minimum to just be present on my sports team. Yeah. So that's what I think is interesting. I actually don't really care if their sports performance drops. I mean, yeah. if you're a fan, you do. But for them, it's kind of like this actually builds them an opportunity after college sports because not everyone's going to go to the NBA. Like someone might float around and like go overseas and play basketball for a few years. You know, that's that that's definitely an option. But I think that for a lot of other people, you've just opened up this opportunity. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I don't feel like calling it a distraction is a good way to paint the picture because it kind of sounds like oh, money is this like evil vice that is luring people to the dark side or I mean that's like my possible like a bad faith yeah, interpretation. Yeah, you can definitely reframe it, I understand what you're saying, yeah. however, in terms of like you only have so many hours in a day. So are you going to put extra hours into being on the court or the field training? 
sleeping, resting. Or are you going to be putting hours into filming yourself and making content and signing deals and things like that? So it's I don't I feel like calling it a distraction makes it sound like bad, like sports is the only like holy grail you should strive for. But it's just like, well, athletes are going to make a decision to split up their days in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think distraction, the reason why I approached it with a slightly negative connotation was that their opportunity to monetize it also because they've been provided a platform, which is because they're student athlete first and then someone that can be paid for sponsorship second. So without one, you don't have the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying for mid-tier athletes, it's really great that you're giving people more options you can speak more to this you know having been in sports but i'm sure there is a realization yourself whether you're going to make it to the nba or not and then being able to see different routes for yourselves as a young person like that's a good thing yeah that you could still be adjacent to sports or somehow in that arena but not have to you know only go for this one very slim chance of yeah. like making it to the big yeah. leagues. Because the reason why I think this is really interesting too is that a lot of popular culture is still very much dictated by a lot of the sports that these players are coming from, right? Like basketball players, to a lesser extent, like football players, like American football players, etc. So I think it's something that is uh, definitely worth exploring. So anyways, back to the whole story. This ruling kicked in July 1st. And after it was passed, like I used the word floodgates previously, but basically the floodgates opened and a lot of top tier athletes immediately announced their new deal signings. And I'm going to read off some of them because I think some of them are actually quite interesting. Florida State quarterback Mackenzie Milton and Miami quarterback Derek King both signed as co-founders of Dreamfield Co., a business built to help athletes pursue speaking events, public experiences, And other new opportunities. So kind of what you mentioned, right? I think what's great about this, sorry, I know you still have other examples, but what's great is this says to me, they had this idea already and they wanted to do it, but they weren't allowed. Because they're very specific, right? This one seems like a very specific. Yeah, it seems so specific. It seems like these people thought, I care about doing this on top of like playing on the field. If I was only just allowed, then we could make, put this into action. So that's really great. Like we've kind of been talking about like, people who might not have thought about monetizing themselves yeah. and then they do it. But this is like giving license to people yeah. who already have great ideas. Because one thing that is interesting about this first idea we've led with is that it has the potential to have positive impact, not just through this like transactional, like let me sell you a piece of merchandise, right? Like that athlete has a great motivational story and this ability to monetize it now makes it a sustainable business that he can grow, hire other people. I think that's actually pretty important. Yeah. But um, I'm going to continue reading on. I pulled a lot of these from ESPN and they did a really good job of choosing some of the more interesting deals. So Iowa basketball player Jordan Bohannon is going to celebrate by doing a paid appearance at an Iowa City fireworks shop ahead of 4th of July. Obviously, we're after the 4th of July right now. Um, And he also plans to work with a cryotherapy company, monetize his podcast and start selling personal merchandise. I think personal merch is going to be a huge play for these guys. Like it's the easiest, lowest hanging fruit, right? Bohannon was also part of a group who went by the name hashtag not NCAA property that wanted better player rights during March Madness. Continue onwards, former Notre Dame walk-on football player Mick Asif and his company Yoke has brought on hundreds of college athletes, and these athletes are now 
going to be able to get paid to play with fans in terms of video games, all that other stuff, which I think is pretty interesting. And then also continuing on, martial offensive lineman Will Ulmer no longer has to use the alias Lucky Bill or pass up money because he's actually a longtime country music singer and performer. So now he can actually go and like fully present himself by his first name and make money off of it and book live gigs. Actually, this is so interesting to me because I didn't fully realize until this example that the law also prevented them from just making money off of doing anything. Because this example with Will Ulmer, he's not even making money off of something in relation to playing a sport. Yeah. Not allowed to perform music. And so actually that gives me this other thought, which is just that like these people should be allowed to pursue other creative passions and then also potentially make money off of it. It feels like a very archaic law, right? You know, even if they're not like making big money, you should be allowed to like just, I don't know, stream yourself, play video games and make a couple bucks or, you know, sell scarves yeah. just random stuff like that which is available to anyone else yeah and then another cool one is uh arkansas whiteout trey knox and his dog blue have worked together with PetSmart, and now this creates another opportunity where athletes and pets can now i guess be a vehicle for messages selling products etc i i think i think in short my the second last one sort of summed it up it was like hey these are kind of archaic laws but also it's denying the opportunity for athletes to be more well-rounded in a way because in theory, they are only allowed to assume the identity of an athlete for the most part, right? Yeah. Yes, you could go and, and perform and sing and whatnot, but I think that this in itself allows many more lanes to be developed and explored. And I, you know, I think you and I wouldn't disagree that it's one thing to be passionate about something. It's another thing to actually have the ability to monetize it to see if you actually think that it's a viable career choice. Yeah. You technically are passionate, but you don't know if there's an interest in your offering as a product of being a public speaker, of being a country music superstar, right? Yeah. Now this sort of changes the game. Yeah. And I also think in particular, because we're talking about college athletes, we're talking about young people who, even if they did have potential to go into whatever major league sport it is, maybe they don't want to because they haven't determined what it is that they're truly excited about. Or like you said, know that they can get a sustainable living from. And so I feel like removing that constraint allows them to more properly explore and determine what path am I going to both enjoy myself the most at and is going to afford me like the lifestyle I want. It kind of feels a bit like an insurance policy, but it's done a slightly differently. Because what I mean by that is, like, as we all know, as an athlete, your career success is also dependent on your healthiness. Mm. Obviously, if you're not healthy, you get hurt, then there goes all your dreams and aspirations. Yep. So in some ways, I think this is just like seems to me as a lot of net positivity. I mean, for me, it's like everyone's kind of afforded the same opportunities right now. So it's an even playing field. So like if those three players over there would rather spend an extra five hours a day making content than resting. That's on them, right? Yeah. It, this other person could do that, but maybe they choose to spend their time differently. So I think it's like, it's going to be really interesting. And this is something that perhaps is open for interpretation. You'll see what the impact is, is that not everyone's going to go sign like a six-figure deal or even a five-figure deal. This might be that person in a small college town getting paid 250 bucks to go show up at a... I don't know, some sort of event. Yeah. Right. And that also is like not unmeaningful income to some people, right? Totally. 
that's interesting too on the health aspect is that, you know, not all athletes are the same. And I'm sure there's a range of socioeconomic background and having that extra money could alleviate stress that they might feel, yeah. which, would, which could actually improve their performance yeah. as athletes because they're not worried about, you know, how's their family doing or how are they going to take care of themselves after college? Yeah. I mean, like one thing that also is probably over my head in terms of the discussion is like just the demographic that represents these NCAA athletes is often, you know, they come from perhaps lower socioeconomic groups. They might be uh, visible minorities. I think that that in itself is giving them a great opportunity to also develop a new line of revenue for themselves that doesn't have to wait for four years because four years is a long time. Like a lot of things that happen, you get hurt, whatever. Like this is something they can capitalize right away. I'm looking forward to it because it kind of goes back into the broader picture around the creator economy in a way, or just the way for people to kind of hold uh, the keys to their own destiny. And I don't really care about if sports suffer for that because the people that care about the sport will continue to like, obviously prioritize that than getting a free pizza by showing up at a restaurant. Or something. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I, my hypothesis would be that you don't see a significant drop in the actual play. It's all quality. speculation by us on this I point. I mean, it is yeah. speculation, but I agree with what you said. Like if you really love what you do and you want to keep training, like that's what you're going to do. You're not going to run off and chase some shiny um, appearance yeah. check. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Same as you. I agree. It's kind of like the creator economy suddenly added this whole like subsection to it like you know we talk career economy overlapping with gaming or venture capital etc and now it's like plus sports yeah well, well i mean it's already existed but plus like college sports yeah i think the one thing that i never thought of but i think is now interesting is that if you're an athlete and you have the ability to message to people like i said you might be a mid-tier athlete who because you fit in the right demographic and you speak to the right people, like now that's another opportunity for small businesses to potentially work with you. Where in the past, like throw something up on Facebook, I guess, you know, that would, that, that, that might be their only real option. But yeah, should we move on? Let's do it. In this ongoing episode about sports and athletics, I wanted to talk about Lachlan Morton, who is a Australian cyclist, and he is currently biking the entire Tour de France route, transfers included, on his own with no support team. And I saw this float across my timeline maybe a couple weeks ago and then didn't really look that much further into it. And then today, while I was looking for a subject, came across it again. I just think it's such a cool human story about like what's possible in sports and what people can do really if you like set your mind to it. So a little bit more about Morton. He actually has this long history of doing alternative and extreme cycling. He's kind of this figurehead of the EF Education Nippo team and in particular their alternative racing program. The way they describe themselves is that EF explores the boundaries of the sport across the world and are committed to the concept of alternative racing along with their partner, Rafa. And through research, they've seen that the future of the sport, cycling, 
means creating new events with new people to reach new audiences. And I think one way you can interpret that is like not just focusing on the Tour de France, which is probably the most famous cycling event that people know about. So it's currently underway. Started on. (laughs) Are we going to talk about the other random thing? Well, I mean, you might as well say it. Okay. Well, people might have heard heard about the Tour de France this year in particular because was it day one, day two? It was day one. Day one. There's like 20 kilometers left in the stage. This onlooker was holding a cardboard sign and stepped out right in front of the peloton and caused the entire group. Yeah, basically, a guy ran into the sign and then his bike wobbled because he was at the front and then just caused a massive pileup. And then she fled after. And then they found her again. I don't know all the details. I didn't look it up, but I mean, a lot of people were chatting about it. So if you're listening to this, you probably actually already heard about this. When we say Peloton for the rest of this segment, we mean the large group in which all the cyclists race. So if you've seen images of the Tour de France, you'll see like hundreds of cyclists. I don't know what the number is. A lot in a packed, like tight formation. And that group and its movement is called the Peloton. And usually there's not a lot of cyclists that like peel away from that large group for bunch of cycling related reasons. So what Morton decided to do is to not be part of that Peloton in the Tour de France. Um, oh, just want to talk a little bit about the facts of this. The Tour de France is a nuts race. Okay. It's 3,500 kilometers across 21 stages and it takes 23 days. Morton decided he's going to do it including all the transfer bits when usually the convoy takes buses and trains. And in total, he is doing 5,500 kilometers, which is an extra 2,000 kilometers, in an addition of over 15,000 meters of vertical gain. And he estimates he'll be riding for 238 hours. And unlike the Peloton, he is taking no rest days. And on top of all this, like additional constraint, he wants to beat the group to Paris. So he's like solo guy racing against them. So, I mean, one of the reasons I picked this was like, this is genuinely the subject I was like most excited to talk about. Because like, I would probably say this to random friends anyway. Like, did you hear about Mm -hmm. this dude? But I think also it's like, it's funny because we were talking about the college athletes and we're kind of talking about mid-tier athletes, right? And people who like want to have other options. But Morton's like this example of peak physical and mental fitness. An athlete who not only is in top physical condition to attempt something like this, but the fact that he's doing it solo, no one by his side is such like to me, I guess, like I'm really impressed by the fortitude it takes to want to do that. I mean, I'm excited to see what comes of it, too, because. If you look at the posts, like the photos are nice too. Like they're they're not just like some random iPhone photos, like there's a proper photographer that took them and like. That that's kind of what I was getting at was that the talent aspect. I mean, at the end of the day, everything people do that can be created as content has immense value. Period. Like whether it's commercial, whether it's entertainment, etc. So I find it so fascinating that athletes leveraging their skill, talent, whatever it may be, as a vehicle for a lot of other things. Whether it's a message, whether it's sponsorship actually opens the door to 
infinite potential, not infinite, right? That's a that's hyperbole, but like <laughs> a lot of potential. Sure. Yeah. Right? I mean, I sent Eugene a link from cyclingtips.com. I looked at a couple of different news articles, but Cycling Tips had the best photos, as he said. So even though he's not getting like mechanical and support in the sense of like no one's bringing him food or taking him to a t- hotel and things like that, but he clearly does have press and it is in the interest of his team, Education Nippo, as well as Rafa, that there is media around this. And actually, you can track him, which is like a brilliant idea. So you can track him and the Peloton on the Rafa website. And you know what you said about the potential is that they are actually doing this for charity. So the project is in aid of World Bicycle Relief, a charity that provides rugged bikes for people in need in the developing world, where a bicycle could help them reduce their poverty strength the distances between where they live and work or go to school and improve access to opportunity. And they've raised 200,000 pounds so far through more in. 200,000 pounds is a lot of money. It is actually. That's actually not like 2,000 pounds. Well, it's like what you said. Like people are inspired by this, by this like alternative athletics event, plus all of the, you know, photos and beautiful, inspiring quotes around this. Yeah. Speaking of inspiring quotes, more in said, it's a challenge that in many ways combines the two elements of cycling I have pursued the most, exploration and competition. Without intention, I have essentially spent my whole life preparing for it. I know it's going to be the most physically demanding ride I've undertaken, but I anticipate the challenges of completing the route self-supported to be equally difficult. I also wanted to say about this is that I like that he set this up in a way where it's clearly a riff on the Tour de France. So he could have done, you know, a 5,500 kilometer, you know, ride anywhere else in the world. But he was like, I'm going to start the day the Peloton starts. I'm going to race them without like the organizing body really like participating in this and beat them to Paris. And that's creative to me, like going rogue. I'm going to make my own format, add my own constraints. You know, what's also great about this is that the... Movement he's supporting is one I never really thought about, even though it makes total sense, is like the impact of putting bicycles in the hands of certain people, right? Like economic charity. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like the potential impact of just having a quicker mode of transportation than your own two feet. That's pretty wild how drastic that benefit could be. Yeah. This also kind of reminded me of the Olympics which are happening this year, because there's been a lot of discussion about should the Olympics be hosted? Are these rules good rules? And I mean, I'm not going to get into all the fine points and there's like so much different opinion on it, but essentially what Morton's doing just made me think like, what if more athletes did their own athletic thing instead? And I know that he's kind of a special case because he's like spent his whole life doing this like alternative, really experimental and endurance type of cycling. But his saying, oh, I don't want to participate in the Tour de France is something I feel like would be exciting to see more athletes choose to do. It's actually crazy because one thing that comes to mind based on what you just said there is there was a brand and company sponsored race not that long ago, over a year ago for sure, like probably pre-COVID that pertained to a runner trying to break the two-hour marathon mark, which has never, ever been done before. So you had people like Nike, like Nike's shoe, 
Mm. Right. And I think there was like, oh man, there was a really, really random uh, person that sponsored it. But that, that comes to mind because it's not within any sort of like officiated sort of like, this is not the governing body's approval. It's just them doing their own thing. They're like, Hey, I have a thing I want to try to beat. Yeah. And let's just try to beat it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Like, it's still within this like world of athleticism, but you can set up your own context in which you're performing under. Yeah. Because we do that all the time in the creative world. You want to present your artwork, you create your own gallery show, right? And it's like it, you don't have to wait for David Zwerner or at some, you know, blue chip gallery to give you validate a Validate you. Yeah. You go and do it yourself. And I think that's actually really interesting because in some ways, and it's it's crazy because I don't think I would have said this a few years ago, but sport is the vehicle for connection and, and the ability for people to come together because sport has a set of rules that often define uh, the landscape. So we might be from different walks of life, but because we're both in participation of tennis, we know the rules govern how we play the game. But what's interesting here is that like, I personally see it a little bit differently now because sport is like, can be seen as a way for people to get together and sport itself is actually less about winning and losing. It's just a platform for something else. Right. And maybe the unfortunate reality is that anything and everything in terms of activities is just a platform for something else. Well, you know what else is kind of remind me of is do you remember I think sometime last year we talked about that AI chess program Alpha Zero, yep, and how they were using Alpha Zero to remix chess according to different chess rules. So instead of using the standard rules that are globally approved by different like competing organizers, they said, okay, what if this happens instead and you're the, the piece is allowed to move in like one this different way. And that's kind of what I was thinking about and from that sports aspect, which is like the rules are what you say it is. Obviously, there have to still be rules for competitors to like exist together, but they don't have to be exactly what the Tour de France says it is or the Olympics says it is. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about on the creative side, but it was actually hard to find like a really specific example because like you said, in the creative world, this happens a lot where if you don't get like the validation from the, you know, traditional or legacy body, then you do your own thing with your friends or, you know, other people who have the same kind of yeah. lane of thinking as you. Yeah. You basically can write your own rules. Like they're not really writing their own rules, but they are writing their own rules. Well, I did find one example, which was a journalist I follow in the UK. Her name is Anna Codrea Rado. And she, along with Sean Mads Williams, this year launched the Freelance Writing Awards, which they created as a new national media award to celebrate the best freelance writing talent in the UK. And I don't really know any more details than yeah. that, that they made this thing. But I thought, well, that's kind of similar. Like, if something doesn't exist to recognize what you do, like, make it for yourself. I feel like I should shout out that Morton's race is still ongoing. He's not projected to finish until July 18th, and they are still accepting donations. So if you were really encouraged by this, you know, you can go ahead and find out more and give some money if you want. 
Throw a few quid his way. <laughs> what? I always feel so. I always feel so legit when I don't say throw a few pounds his way, but I say throw a few quid. All right. Good localization efforts, Eugene. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap up for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can visit us at Macon.com. M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>